0: In celebration of Women's History Month, we are dedicating today's episode to some of our favorite fictional female characters. Plus, nerd news to keep you informed and nerd commendations to give you all the good stuff. The byword begins now. Welcome to the Nerd Byword, the only nerd culture podcast that can charm you in multiple languages. Today we are here to celebrate Women's History Month, a month that combines two things that Dave and I love so dearly, history and strong female characters. But before we share our rosters of badass ladies, it's time to fulfill our journalistic responsibilities in this week's... Dave, we're both very much on topic with today's news stories. What you got?
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, ever since um, James Gunn has been named sort of one of the co-heads of the the blooming new DC uh, cinematic universe, um, there just been a lot of interesting tidbits dropped by him uh on social media. He's uh very interactive with people and and oftentimes will answer questions if he feels, you know, that that he's in a place where he can do so. And so just watching the guy on social media sometimes brings about some some wonderful hints of of what might be coming in the future. Uh recently, for example, he uh he posted a tweet that uh, he was watching uh, Superman 2 the Donner cut, which is absolutely fascinating. Uh, that that's a whole separate story. Uh, you know, the Donner cut versus the 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 you know cinematic, you know, Lester cut. it would be very interesting for us to talk about one of these days. But I digress. Um so on Twitter, uh a poster by the name of at Seniverse uh posted up some artwork of Wonder Woman and said, Diana is a character with such a rich cast, with so much untapped potential and stories, it's beyond past time for it to be explored. Hashtag Wonder Woman Animated Series. And James Gunn retweeted this and said, agreed, working on it. And of course, with those few words, he has uh, lit the Wonder Woman fandom up like a Christmas tree, as everybody's now speculating that there is, in fact, a Wonder Woman animated series in the works. This is, uh, you know, not too far-fetched, all things considered. There seems to be a pause on... uh, on Gal Gadot as uh, you know the cinematic version of Wonder Woman as they are shifting more towards you know, looking at the past of the mascara. Um, it's not very clear if she's going to uh, hold that role or if it's going to pass to somebody else. So punting over to an animated series for a little while to maybe explore Wonder Woman's uh, rather sprawling supporting cast is actually a really really interesting idea. It's fascinating to me how many you know animated versions we've had of of Superman and Batman. Batman in particular is almost ridiculous. We're getting another one here pretty soon, and yet Wonder Woman, one of the big you know big three of DC, one of the Trinity, has never had her own animated series. Harley Quinn got an animated series before Wonder Woman, which is such an odd decision. The other thing I find really interesting here is that uh, the original post by Seniverse talks about uh, the rich cast with untapped potential, and I think that is a problem that we see really even across the comic books these days where wonder woman is oftentimes separated out from many of the people um, that are, that, you know, in her orbit that would be really interesting. You know, we'd make a lot of, like, the Bat family and the Super family these days, but Wonder Woman has this wonderful, sprawling supporting cast, too, and I'm not just talking about, you know, random Amazon number five or something. I mean, Nubia has gotten more into the spotlight lately, but characters like, like Cassie Sandsmark and Donna Troy have been languaging in limbo so long, uh, it, it's, it's you know, kind of getting sad. And so seeing, you know, them brought into the forefront a little bit and and kind of getting into, uh, you know, Diana's relationship with those characters would be, you know, extremely interesting to see again. Yeah. So in an animated series, you know, maybe we can get some of that good old-fashioned media influence from the adaptation and the comic books focus a little bit more on those characters as well. There's just a lot of moving parts in the Wonder Woman books, and yet for some reason she always feels a little bit isolated from from, you know, characters that are supposed to be in her orbit. So here's hoping that they'll actually do this and we'll get a really cool... Wonder Woman animated series, I would be all about seeing this.
0: I'm gonna cheat a little bit because there is some recent Wonder Woman news that I wanted to get your reaction on. Uh Tom King is revealed to be the new Wonder Woman scribe. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: You know, I I, I do what I always do when it comes to stuff like that. Wait and see. I'll try anything once. Uh I'm, you know, get my I get my toms mixed up sometimes, but I'm pretty right? sure Tom <laughs> King was the Yeah. I'm pretty sure Tom uh Tom King was the one who wrote Heroes in Crisis. And I was not uh, horribly thrilled with that particular uh, series, but King has also had, I think, a really interesting run on on Batman, which you know has people divided, but I think has a lot of really good uh, stories in there. So you know, I'm, I'm I'm taking a wait and see approach. You know, it's funny because I kind of got on the Wonder Woman bandwagon with Rebirth again, and because Rucka came back to writing for a while, and I really like his take on Diana. And then you know, it just kind of been. All over the place, you know, since he left again, with some stories being really good and some stories being really lackluster. It feels a lot like Diane has kind of been directionless for a little while. So if nothing else, I hope that King comes on here with a really strong um, direction, you know, like really has a plan, has something in mind, something he wants to work towards and not just meander around Wonder Woman's, you know, world, so to speak it it's it's interesting that you say all that stuff initially
0: as well because you know as a relative newcomer to dc comics um of course our our dear friend stephanie williams um you know kind of reinventing or get, or, or kind of fleshing out the story of nubia and like this this renaissance of the character um, brought me to that crossover, Trial of the Amazons. And it was really cool to see all those characters that you mentioned that a lot of longtime DC fans said hadn't been getting enough love, but Cassie and Donna showed up, and that was really, really cool to meet them for the first time. And And so uh, I don't know if you've read that one yet, but I highly recommend it. That was really, really cool. It was like a murder mystery kind of deal going on. Um, and then, of course, I love Nubia, and I will sing the praises of Yara Floor Till the Cows Come Home as well. Um, And just like the different dynamics between the different tribes of Amazons was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, like like I said, there's a lot of moving parts there and there's a lot of different things you can do with, you know, storytelling set in that part of, of the DC universe. But it always seems very, I don't know. Like there are, I don't want to sound like there's not any good Wonder Woman runs. There are several decent Wonder Woman runs. Greg Rucka, uh, Gail Simone was really fantastic. There, there are several good runs, but it always feels much more directionless, meandering than a lot of the stuff that happens, for example, on Superman and Batman. You know, like I would really like to. Would it be fair?
0: From an outsider's perspective, would it would it be fair to say that it looks like to me it's an afterthought when it comes to the Super Family and the Bat Family?
1: It does seem like that sometimes, you know? Like, I'm a big fan of Yara Floor, for example, you know? But the addition of Yara Floor also meant that, you know, characters like Donna Troy and Cassie Sandsmark almost got negated, you know, rather than, you know, doing what they did, for example, you know, with Duke Thomas Signal, right? It's additive. This is the the part of the Bat family that operates during the daytime, right? And, And he has relationships with the rest of the Bat family. It almost feels like like Donna and Cassie just kind of have vanished in, into the background for the most part with, you know, a couple of notable exceptions. And so that just seems, it just seems like a very odd decision to me, at least. All right, Chris, so what is your news story for this week?
0: Well, you nailed on it. And Ash, we're going to keep using that term of additive reinvention. Um, so it was announced by Marvel. There was some, some leaked art and what have you, but it was confirmed by Marvel. There will be a completely wholly new character in the second season of the animated series What If on Disney+. Plus. Um, we're not sure if this is going to be directly the, the Marvel 1602 comic book storyline that was confirmed last year at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, but there is a new female heroine that is going to be introduced in this upcoming season. Cahorti, who is um, of Mohawk origin, and this is going to take place um, pre-colonization of the United States with you, a First Nation character. Um, And what I find really, really cool is the writer of the episode, Ryan Little, was working in close collaboration with members of the Mohawk Nation, like historian Doug George, um, Mohawk language expert Cecilia King. So this is going to be in the Mohawk language, um, and you know, as a as a language lover myself, that's immediately like got me there seated at the table, ready to watch. Um, And so little said, quote, I had a wonderful writing mentor who worked extensively with the indigenous community in upstate New York. And I was excited to draw on that experience to build an entirely original corner of the MCU with storylines for new indigenous heroes written from a place of respect for past generations and optimism for future ones. Kahorty is a real Wolf Clan name, meaning she stirs the forest or is someone who motivates those around her. In her debut adventure, Kahorty will live up to her name and recruit powerful allies into the fight and save her people and change the course of history forever. Um, And then like the the few details that we have is that she comes into contact with the Tesseract that fell to Earth um, in the 17th century, Um, you know. I've previously nerd commended this before. It's a Neil Gaiman book, so I mean like it's an absolute win. But Marvel 1602 and just playing around with that um, you know, historical fiction has always been like one of my favorite things: Three Musketeers, Count of Monte Cristo, just playing in those historical periods uh and now creating a new strong female character as a result of that. But not only that, having such authenticity and like a learning experience. Um, for creators who are writing characters that uh, represent different backgrounds of their own is such a welcome change to, unfortunately, what we have so often in mainstream media and comic books in particular. So I'm very, very excited about this. And and I really can't wait for What If Season 2 now.
1: Yeah, so funny story. I've not even watched What If Season 1 yet. So uh, I hear good things and there are definitely episodes I I still want to check out. Um, I think, you know, creating a new character like this is always... um, Awesome when when the big two decide to actually do it. Although flip side, oftentimes those characters don't get to stick around and and become sort of you know uh, one hit wonders. I remember that uh, there was big hoopla about introducing a new Native American character uh, over at DC uh during the weekly series fifty two. And I adore fifty two. Don't get me wrong, but that character was basically introduced and then almost immediately died. And I was like, holy crap, dude! I can't believe this just happened. You know so. Um oftentimes those newer characters get get shunted aside for you know the uh the, the usual standby characters the, the more successful long running ones I, so if they you know go through this effort of of you know making it authentic and introducing this new character, i hope there's at least some kind of um plan to maybe introduce the character in the comics or maybe do a mini series something that to, to allow this character to get more exposure to thrive and and to kind of um you know uh, join the pantheon of other characters. I, that that's I think the biggest struggle that uh Marvel and DC face when they try to make a new character is that oftentimes uh there's no longevity there. I really hope that they uh have a plan beyond just this one episode to to make something out of this character and to keep her around.
0: Yeah, they're already like releasing photos of like a Funko Pop. So I'm hoping this is like a a Harley Quinn type scenario where they're introduced in in an animated series and then they they get their comic book introduction as well so uh, here's hoping for that
1: though in fairness you know Funko Pop I mean something for the landfill right (laughs) (laughs) that that poor company is disintegrating something fierce right now
0: all right that wraps up nerd news for this week when we come back we're going to return with our byword big talk of awesome ladies that we love Welcome back to this week's main segment. We call it our byword. And in celebration of Women's History Month, we just wanted to take an entire episode and just build a super team of female characters across different publishers across different companies that we wanted to make like our little super team with we did something similar back in the archives with a mission to space and um you know different characters from different properties that was really really fun and so we wanted to do something um to celebrate two things that we love you know strong female characters and history so women's history is naturally something that we wanted to celebrate uh dave no surprise on your number one pick.
1: Yeah, so uh when we talk female characters, especially female characters that had a, you know, big impact on on myself growing up and stuff. Uh obviously, you know, we're going to have to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I'm going to try to avoid spoilers since you're in the middle of watching this show for the first time. Um but just a little bit about the character. Uh so Buffy Summers uh is a, you know, a vampire slayer um who uh became slayer at the age of 15 and unlike uh, you know, most slayers in, in that particular franchise that were shown or introduced, she did not, uh, you know, abandon her regular life, but instead try to, you know, lead a dual life. Um, and I think that that speaks a lot to what makes this character so, com- so compelling. Uh, all this power that she gets, you know, the speed, the strength, the fighting ability. Um, and yet all she really wants for, at least initially is just, she wants a normal life, you know, and, and she wants to try to maintain that normal life. She's not a loner like most slayers. She, you know, surrounds herself with close f- friends and allies who work with her. Um, and, and she's in, just incredibly cool character, you know, funny, uh, clever, uh, incredibly headstrong, sometimes to her detriment and sometimes not. Um, and and because of all those things her increased fighting ability and her and her fascinating character i think she would make a really good addition to our little uh, list of totally awesome female characters yeah so i'm half
0: uh, more than halfway through season 2 i think i'm on episode 13 um and it's it's hit the ground running now i finally see the vision uh as the kiddies say um and i'm really really enjoying the character um xander still sucks um We'll we'll revisit that later. Um remains the worst, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy Buffy. Uh, I don't I don't want to give away too much because I want to give my full recap um, when I finish season two um, as our little extra bite at the end of the episode when I do finish that season. But um, I no surprises here and no gripes about why she's fit your first pick.
1: All right, so your first pick, Chris, is uh, incredibly interesting. And I have to say, I'd like to hear your reasoning on this one. Bring it.
0: Ah, I, uh, listen, maybe it's recency bias. I am head over heels in these audiobooks for The Witcher that I mentioned on our last episode. But my number one pick has to be Yennefer of Wengerberg. Um, she is, uh, just a quick bio, powerful sorceress, the true love and soulmate of Geralt of Rivia. Is she though? Who knows? That's a love triangle or quadrangle or rectangle. Who knows? And a mother figure to Princess Ciri, the lion cub of Sintra. She is a native of Vengerberg, the capital city of the kingdom of Adirne and she was born with a congenital hunchback um and so like i've seen this character in many different iterations and the non-linear storytelling that is inherent to the witcher doesn't really lend itself to like making heads or tails sometimes so you just kind of have to mosh it all together like a stew but i i just love the the like the the raw authenticity of this character she's not like 100% like morality induced character, like I'm typically drawn to, but I, I find her to be truly authentic and real. And she has her insecurities, you know, with the 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 health condition she was born with that she that she still has, you know, some self consciousness about, um, despite her incredible um, you know skill in in magic and sorcery. Um, and I mean, like, if we're building a super team, you need somebody, you know, you need a a magic wielder, you need a Stephen Strange, a Wanda Maximoff, you need a Zatanna, a Zatara. Um, so I, I need a powerful sorceress in my corner. And um, I just think that she's a truly fascinating character and a real powerhouse that I want on my team.
1: Yeah, she's probably not going to play well with others though, let's be honest. <laughs> like like she's she's not just a powerhouse of magic, she's also a disrupting force, I would say on any kind of team she would be a part of. Like this this woman knows what she wants and she does not care what you want. So <laughs> fantastic character. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Yennefer. Um yeah it's it's interesting how many different versions of this character already you know we've come across between the video games the television show and and the books and yet no no matter which iteration you're looking at she's just fascinating i think it's probably the best word to describe her she's so complex and interesting you know anytime you encounter the character you just just uncover new layers so um you know, if I if I were a writer and this were a comic book I would have to write or something, uh, having her on the team would definitely create some interesting scenarios.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting, the dynamics of, like, for example, when they have, like, the Council of Witches, or I, I'm probably blanking on the name of it, but, like the inter politics of of the different witches and like how it's just like, we know that the men are are ill-equipped to rule this world. So we're the ones that are really in power. And then like the relationship she has with those other ladies. And like you said, she doesn't necessarily play well with others. Maybe we can get Triss in there with, and that's a complicated relationship too, because they're very close friends, but they're both in love with Geralt. And so like, there's, it's just a fascinating, fascinating dynamic.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man.
0: It's not a complete episode uh, without you making a Farscape reference or Profession of Love.
1: Well, let's be completely honest. I'm shocked that there are no X-Men uh, characters on your list. So I think we both have our radical uh, agendas that we are pushing here. Uh, yeah, for me, obviously, if you're going to have uh, a team of, of you know female characters, uh, you need somebody who who's sort of a strategist, maybe somebody with some military background. Um, and who is absolutely cooler in that category than uh, Farscape's Aaron's son, a um, former peacekeeper, uh, a military force that she was born into and, and raised her whole life. She uh, has incredibly strong moral fiber, is uh, you know, obviously not above turning her back on, you know, the organized military to do what she thinks is right. Of course, in the show, she becomes a fugitive, uh, softens up a little bit. And she's, you know, the the ultimate tough female character. Um Softens up at least a little bit and falls in love, but I think the the absolute incredible tough exterior of her never ever sheds away. Uh, Even when she's about to give birth, she's shooting her ginormous gun at people. Uh, This is just an absolutely never-say-die fantastic character that would be uh, a, a great strategist, I think, for a team like this.
0: Okay, so I've only seen the pilot episode, but that's a pretty significant sales pitch um maybe i will be able after after this buffy adventure and i'm not gonna i'm not willing to commit to anything after all seven seasons of buffy are consumed maybe even angel as, as much as I'm, I'm i'm enjoying this um but maybe i'll be able to look past um the sesame street characters from hell in order to to uh, give Farscape another chance
1: I swear to God, I prefer my uh, Jim Henson alien creations over Star Trek's bumpy foreheads and uncanny valley digital effects any day of the week. At least there was something physically there for actors to work with, and you can really tell in the quality of the show, especially as it goes on. Dude, this is the same situation with Buffy. You know, Like you said, by season two, you see the vision. you gotta, you got to give this sucker a little bit of time to grow, too. The pilot was a lot of growing pains, but by the time you hit maybe... Uh, second half of the first season things start really clicking together in a whole different way so who's your next female character for our team chris
0: one of my favorite characters of all time in any property uh that would be ahsoka tano um i know that when in in prompting this episode i tried to limit myself you made the joke that i didn't have any x-men characters that's because i could have this entire roster filled with uh ex-women so um i tried to limit myself to one dc character and one marvel character and technically this might be a marvel character but who cares so uh ahsoka tano a Trigruta female was the padawan learner to anakin skywalker and hero of the clone wars um alongside anakin she grew from a headstrong student into a mature leader but her destiny laid along a different path than the jedi um And quite the opposite of Yennefer, in my opinion. We talk about how she doesn't necessarily play well with others. I think Ahsoka is like kind of above the emotional kind of game that so many people play in Star Wars, so much so that she was just like, listen, you know what? The Jedi Council is going to do me dirty. Spoilers, by the way. The Jedi Council is going to do me dirty. I'm just going to go do my own thing, and I'm going to do the right thing, even if it is divorcing myself from the Jedi council and being a Jedi. Um, And so just like one of the most inspirational characters, like, like you said, never say die, never gives up. I mean, like her encounter with Anakin, Darth Vader is truly one of the most heartbreaking and emotional scenes I've ever seen in star Wars. Twilight of the apprentice at the tail end of, uh, I believe the first season of um, star Wars rebels still holds up there with some of the best star Wars content ever. Um, and I said this on a, on a tweet that, that kind of got some traction, uh, this past week, but if you're, they were talking about like, do we need to revisit some of the things that happened in animation and live action? Um, and you know, I, I firmly believe if you have an anti-animation bias and you're missing out on some of the best storytelling and character work in all of star Wars, that's a you problem. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if people are are as on the train for Ahsoka in this upcoming series as I am, you know, simply because they haven't checked that out. But that's like, that's like a serious miss. Um, So I, I will do anything for this character, ride to the ends of the earth, of any earth, any galaxy, near or far. But I love Ahsoka Tano and she's got to be on my team.
1: Yeah, you know, I I can't really add anything to that. Um I never was a religious watcher of the Clone Wars, but I've, you know, watched enough to get a good sense of the character and she's you know, absolutely one of my favorites as well. Um so, you know, uh yeah. Let's let's go ahead and have her on the team, man. All right,
0: as a rabid Microsoft enjoyer, I'm going to have to take a back seat to your next pick.
1: Oh, Aloy how i love you <laughs> so uh as far as video game uh characters go you know uh, yeah, yeah, i kind of have like sort of a love hate relationship with video game characters you know there's always a little bit of uh um male gaze going on i think in in for female video game characters regrettably there are a few that break the mold but uh, oftentimes that's what we end up with so the horizon games over on the uh, playstation are uh, such a welcome Uh, change from that um in fact i played like one and a half (laughs) of these games i never quite got to to finish the sequel forbidden west yet um but the character of aloy the main character is is absolutely uh mold breaking i think um she's so interesting and 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 so awesome and so skilled and and just Gotta absolutely love this character. Um, so basically the the Horizon games take place in a future that's sort of post-apocalyptic and, and people are living in in you know more primitive circumstances. Uh, at the same time, you have these ginormous machines that look like various animals uh, and dinosaurs even roaming around. And, and Aloy goes on a mission to find out more about her past and, and figure out what's going on with the world. And that's sort of the starting point. But what's so interesting, I think, about her is how how stubborn and how single-minded she is i absolutely love in the first game how often somebody ends up hitting on her and she has absolutely no time for that crap like there is like zero romance in the in this first game like absolutely nothing because Aloy does not have time for your hormones okay Aloy has a job to do and i absolutely adore that about her on top of that she's you know an incredibly skilled hunter a tracker um And although she uses, you know, weapons that uh, by modern standards would be, you know, probably considered a bit uh, primitive, you know, like spear and and a bow and arrow. uh, There are enough upgrades that she adds to those to make them, uh, you know, formidable, even in a more modern context. So in short, uh, if you need somebody that has some hunting and tracking skills and will get the job done, then uh, Aloy is your girl.
0: Yeah, the only lasting thing that I know about this character is... you mentioned it like the male gaze of it all is someone tried to yassify like um a portrait of that character and like make it more male gazey, and the collective like jumping of that uh individual was was something to behold but yeah that's 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 about the long and the short of it
1: who runs around in a po- post-apocalypse and has their, their handy makeup kit at the ready i mean come <laughs> on <laughs> Let me go ahead and Make- apply some, some, some blush before I go hunt the ginormous robot dinosaur. <laughs> Jeez, people are weird. Well, and,
0: and you kind of, you kind of uh, I was surprised to see that you did not put Lara Croft here, but you kind of made the argument for as to why you didn't, because I know it's a character that you love so much, writing about her on your website. Um, but, you know, that makes sense as to why you chose Aloy uh, in exchange for that.
1: It's really funny that you mention uh, uh, Lara Croft in this context because I have two I have two minifigures sitting on my on my desk, uh, one on each side of my monitor setup, and one is on the left is, is Lara Croft from the the Tomb Raider reboot games, uh, and on the left is I mean on the right is Aloy. So left I got Lara Croft, right I got Aloy, two of my favorite bow and arrow wielding characters of all time.
0: Mine are mine are four X Men characters in Spider Man so. <laughs>
1: make make sense Makes sense <laughs> so who's next on your list chris
0: <laughs> all right so i'm going to preface this i know that you are game of thrones uh agnostic i guess but i have to put you know daenerys targaryen we're just going to pretend that the the second half of the season 8 did not happen i i legitimately didn't even watch it i just like had somebody tell me what happened and I'm like yeah i'm not going to watch that um because for seven and a half seasons you had like one of the most powerful uh character progressions and storytelling um you know happening um and and it's truly a character that i truly love i love amelia clark i love how like bubbly and like just like appreciative she is uh, of the fandom um and um it, it just means the world to me i'm excited for her to come into the mcu with um oh secret invasion um even if she's playing abigail brand um as long as i get amelia clark i'm good even if it's a character i mean it, it who uh spoiler alert is is an antagonist is is a villain um uh, but i'm sure she's going to play it out the wazoo uh but queen daenerys targaryen the first of her name daenerys stormborn uh, Danny is the younger sister of Rhaegar Targaryen, Viserys Targaryen, the paternal aunt of Jon Snow. Um don't talk about their relationship too much. Um, the youngest child of King Aerys uh, Targaryen II, and Queen Raela Targaryen. Um, and she like her kind of like story as being like this child bride, um, rising through the ranks, gaining her dragons. I mean, like, it's a it's it's a bad woman riding a dragon. What more could you want? I mean, like, it's everything you could want in a fantasy character. They crap the bed at the end, but we don't talk about that. I love Daenerys, one of my favorite characters ever, uh, and I will ride for her any day.
1: Yeah, I remember well the big uh, controversy uh, around the finale and how nobody really wanted that character to end up the way she did. And I think that's probably a testament to her popularity. Uh, you are absolutely right. In that I am um you know a bit um agnostic, I guess you could say when it comes to the game of Thrones situation um I tried to watch the first few episodes and found it to be really joyless um and and so it it wasn't really my cup of tea I think um but at the same time uh, I'm curious enough to maybe go ahead and check out the books, although that has its own problems because apparently uh you know George R, R. Martin is never going to finish this. Um and so i'm I'm always iffy about starting un unfinished uh you know cliffhangery stories that are never gonna lead to any kind of conclusion. Um, so if I'm gonna you know stick my feet into this franchise at any point, it'll probably be via the books first, um just because I'm more of a book person than a TV show person. And there was something about the aesthetics of the the Game of Thrones TV show that just bugged me. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, But I watched like two, three episodes, and there was something about it that just rubbed me the wrong way. Um, Maybe one of these days I'll sit down and rewatch and and try to figure out what what it was that just, I don't know, didn't work for me at the time. Maybe it was just a mood I was in or something, but it just didn't click.
0: All right, your next character. Now, you you were talking about the male gaze in your last pick. You're kind of going the other way on this one.
1: No, no I am not. And I'm going to tell you something this is this is the this is the no listen this is the thing that's hard to wrap your head around and this is the hardest part about being a fan of this character. Um so Every time that I mention this character, the very first thing that comes up is her costume, uh, and that's this is Power Girl. And of course, uh, the most famous feature that is she she is known for is that she has a cutout in her suit that uh, exposes her cleavage. Um, and uh, it, it probably doesn't help that the original artist, after she was first introduced, uh, kind of uh, had... Um, a a sexier resume let's say when it comes to some of the art he produced and he continued to grow her bust size over the course of several issues or at least that's the story how the story goes the legend is that he kept increasing her bust size to see how far he can push it before somebody would stop him um and and so there is a there is a legacy of of male gaze on that character uh, sure but what i find so much more interesting is that underneath all that quite literally is just one of the most interesting characters at DC and she desperately, desperately, desperately needs to get a push. She needs to to be in, on people's minds and and she needs a lot more exposure Uh, pun, not intended. Uh, the point is that, you know, at at least right now there seems to be some stuff uh, in the works with her again, um, with uh, the expansion of the Superman family. And she's popping up in a backup story right now in action comics, I believe. And, uh, I think she's going to pop up in uh, the new Justice Society book here soon too, which is really the place I probably know her best from. So, who's Power Girl? Power Girl is the sole survivor of a pre-crisis parallel universe, the original Earth Two, where she is basically Supergirl. She is, uh, you know, Kara Sorel, uh, but she is older, she's more grown up, and she's from a you know parallel universe. And so she's stranded on, you know, the main DC universe. She doesn't have a place to go back to and now, you know, lives here under the name of, you know, Karen Starr um, and her alter egos, Power Girl. She's most closely associated probably at this point with uh, the Justice Society, having even been chairperson there for a while. Um, she's just so tough, like one of the absolute toughest characters that you'll ever come across. Um uh, it, you know, I'm I'm really I'm really divided on the issue of her costume because on the one hand it's you know iconic and recognizable, and every time they try to change it, and boy oh boy have they tried to change it often, it never quite sticks or clicks. Uh, At the same time, I'm so tired of being a fan of this character and constantly having to discuss the costume above all the other features that make her so interesting. You know, she's a captain of industry. She runs her own company. She's easily one of the most capable superheroes. She's tough as nails. She's got a chip on her shoulder. She doesn't suffer any fools. She doesn't put up with anybody's crap. And she's on a power level that is equal of Superman. And yet for some reason, 90% of the time, we can't, you know, give this character the time of day. Probably one of the coolest series... Uh, was uh, uh, Palmiati and Connor uh, did a run on on her for uh, 12 issues or so. And then I think Judd Winnick came in and took over and kind of completely changed the tone of the series. But those 12 or so issues were absolutely fantastic. There's such a good character here that uh, I absolutely adore every time she pops up. And I sure wish that she would get a a regular ongoing again. I think they announced that she's getting a one-shot in a couple of months. And I'm really excited to see uh, what they do with that because, hey, I'm a big Power Girl fan. I left you speechless.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You got you got me. Um I may I may have to check it out. I may have to check it out.
1: Well, I mean I've I've talked about, you know, uh the, the Justice Society book uh and how and how good it was, even though, you know, uh He Who Shall Not Be Named was involved in writing it. Um there's a lot of he Who Shall Not Be Named in the comic book industry anymore, it feels like. Um no. more on that but in my the next Justice Society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the Justice Society, um the Justice Society book that featured her was an absolute banger. It was so very good. And then her own series was really good. So I I just, it's hard not to love this character and and how tough and and no nonsense she is and how she just doesn't put up with anybody's crap. Love her. Talking about your next pick, Chris, what you got,
0: man. I love Jessica Cruz. Uh, She's the first female (laughs) human green lantern. Um, what what I love about this character so much. I mean, like <clears throat> if you have a black or brown woman, I'm going to stand as the kiddies say, like usually most of the time, black or, black or brown women just existing is I'm automatically a fan. But what I love about this character so much, and you know, it gets kind of crowded on earth when it comes to the green lantern core, but what makes her stand out and be such a compelling character is she's incredibly relatable. She suffers from crippling anxiety and agoraphobia after nearly being murdered in a camping excursion with her friends. She sees all of her friends murdered. She is the sole survivor, so she's got survivor's remorse, survivor's guilt, and she shuts herself up in her room. Um, you know, and finding this character in the midst of a worldwide pandemic and in quarantine was like almost a spiritual experience um so she overcame those those fears and it's not like a ah here is my moment type of thing it's like a constant thing as mental health is and the struggle with mental health and overcoming that it's not like a aha moment and then i'm good now can i have my ring please uh but no like she had like this triumphant moment <clears throat> i've recommended her series with simon boz uh several times and I'll do it again. It does change up creative teams, but remarkably it doesn't kind of lose any of its luster. Sometimes you get, you have that unfortunately, but like the buddy cop, like dorkiness of it is really cute and endearing. Um, And I really just want to follow this character more. Um, I'm not sure where to pick up off after that series. I, I kind of lucked into um, the unearthed young adult graphic novel that I nerd commended previously. Um but I, I'm looking for another on-ramp for this character. Yeah. Co-created uh by Ivan Rice, Jeff Johns, and Ethan Van Idiot. Like, so yeah, here's here's my here's my Buffy created by a problematic people. Ivan Rice, to my knowledge, has nothing wrong, but those other two, yikes. Um but I I love her to death. Truly immediately one of my favorite characters at DC and I, I cannot wait for more content from her.
1: Yeah. I actually have uh, that whole green lantern series featuring her and, and Simon Boz as, as partners, but regrettably I've not read the whole thing yet. Um, just kind of fell off. Although the character itself is really, really interesting. And I'd like to see, you know, more of her, I think when it comes to, uh, uh, female green lantern characters, um, you know, uh I'm sorry you got your. I'll fight you when it comes to the best one because for me that is always going to be Joe Mullen but uh I think Jessica Cruz is a really cool character and uh and definitely will you know be a great addition to our team here.
0: Okay Dave uh we talked before recording you you kind of added this character last minute but it, it's literally perfectly catered to you.
1: Well I mean I have spoken uh many times uh, about my love of uh, Marvel's Jessica Jones character, uh, both the comic book iteration and even you know the TV show version. Uh, I think you know she's absolutely fantastic. Most recently, she was written by Gail Simone. What a dream come true that was. Uh, <laughs> let's be completely honest. She, oh God, I love Gail Simone's writing. Uh, so that was that was a fantastic miniseries right there. But but Jessica is. Smart uh, and in a very different way than some of the other characters we've mentioned. You know, like uh, obviously Jessica Cruz is part of the Green Lantern Corps, so there's some military, uh, police background there. Aaron uh, soon was part of you know the peacekeepers, but but Jessica Jones is is street smart. Jessica Jones is uh, a very different kind of smart and something that is desperately needed on a team like this while other people, you know, are talking about military strategy, she's the one who can come up with a much more down-to-earth, no-nonsense solution to the problem. Plus, if we're thinking just from a pure uh, perspective of you know storytelling. Uh, I think just putting Jessica Jones and Jennifer Vengerberg into the same room together and seeing what happens would uh, would already be a fascinating situation <laughs> right there. Two characters that that and, are similar in their disdain for others. <laughs> oh, oh my and god! And the mother of dragons. Uh, it would. Yeah, who 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 will dominate the rest? You know, uh, it would it would be a, a just a fantastic scene to write. So uh, I think she is uh, an absolute must, even though she's not nearly as powerful as some of the characters that we've talked about. She can obviously hold her own. She does have powers herself, but it's really the detective nature uh, and and her savvy in in everyday situations that I think make her perfect for a team like this.
0: Yeah, the character didn't immediately click with me. I didn't really vibe with the Netflix series as much as I wanted to, um, but, like, seeing her turn up in, in subsequent, like, comic books that I just happened to be reading, like, particularly with her and Luke Cage and uh, their daughter Danielle was really, really cool. And so I'm I'm, I'm going to have to do some further investigation on this character, pun fully intended.
1: Worth it. Uh, I think I have, except for the most recent thing, I have pretty much every uh, Jessica Jones book uh, in trade paperback on my shelf right here. So I'm proud of that. I got quite the collection. All right, final character, Chris, uh, and no surprise here. Uh, God, here's a character that I need to learn more about.
0: Uh, same, honestly. <clears throat> um, it's my beloved Monica Rambeau, who is currently going by the moniker of Photon in her miniseries by Eve Ewing and Lucas Wernick, um, as I previously nerd commended, but has kind of bounced around when it comes to like nomenclature. She was originally Captain Marvel, and then Carol strong-harmed her way into that. Name and so now she is photon she was also spectrum for uh, a good amount of time but she's bombarded with extra dimensional energy emitted by a stolen device she was the harbor patrol officer and she acquired the ability to convert her body mass into any form of energy of the electromagnetic spectrum um and so she's just a fascinating character like in the 80s she um was like the the leader of the Avengers. And and so I need to go back and read that Avengers stuff because it's being, you know, heavily referenced here in this mini-series. Um my the where I fell in head over heels in love with the character is Al Ewing's Ultimates run, which I previously recommended as well. Um she was created by JRJR J. R. and Roger Stern, like prime 80s comic creators. Um, And so I just really love this character. Um, The the mini is kind of like grounding her. She's masterfully portrayed by Tiana Paris. Uh, Congratulations to her on the recent birth of her first child. I cannot wait to see the Marvel's film. Truly, truly appreciated uh, her interpretation of the character in WandaVision. Not nearly enough uh, screen time. Uh, But I really, really love this character. And it's one that I'm diving deep into. I also love... Um, her romantic relationship with Blue Marvel, one of the most underrated characters in all of comic books, not just Marvel. So I, I am desperately looking for more content for Maria Ram, uh, excuse me, Monica Rambo character that I deeply
1: love. Yeah, I know very very little about you know Monica Rambo. I've been you know slowly diving into you know uh, Carol Danvers' history and have read a lot of um you know her time as miss marvel even um you know try because i just really fell in love with that character and as i've been going through that you know monica will pop up here and there and i have just not you know pulled on that thread yet of getting to know more about her but every time she pops up in carol's orbit it's always a very interesting relationship so i'm i'm interested in diving deeper into the character and learning more about her
0: okay so dave as part of this initiative we also You know, wanted to fan cast, I guess, if you will, like our very real creative team. So who's your creative team for your for your team here?
1: So uh, as far as writing goes, I would have to turn to the incomparable Gail Simone, uh, somebody who has had, uh, you know, runs on several characters that I really like, uh, including, uh, you know, Batgirl um but i think that the thing that uh makes her perfect for something like this is that she has direct experience writing an all-female team in the birds of prey i still hold up her run on birds of prey as one of the pitch perfect dc comics um it really does not get better than gail simone on birds of prey and so i think she'd be the perfect writer for something like this Uh, and on art um, I, I think, you know, who, who better than Amanda Connor, who I've already mentioned, you know, has a history with Power Girl, also, uh, has a history with, uh, with Harley Quinn and revamping that character. And, uh, just, there's something about, uh, Amanda Connor's art that just pops and is really arresting and I think would work great on something like this. How about you, Chris? Who's your creative team here?
0: You know, I had to show love to our dear friend, Stephanie Williams, who, whose arrow continue to, to ticks up. She's hitting the big time. I think she's writing, um, she's writing a, a, peacemaker series now or, or something to that effect. Um, so that's really, really cool. Um, but she already has, you know, written Monica Rambeau before. Um, and she also does a great job in my opinion of writing characters of different backgrounds and like the interconnected piece um, with like something like living heroes where you have, you know, yes, they're all women, uh, in the marvel universe but they're very diverse and different personalities and so i think having all these strong personalities you know w- would take like a strong writer and someone who can pull that off um and then for art i bounced back and forth between two of my favorites um i ultimately went with jen bartell because her covers and her interiors are just like breathtaking like i have prints of her artwork hanging up uh myself in my classroom but then like, uh, like my one A pick was Joelle Jones, just like what she was able to do with Wonder Girl, um, Yara Floor, and like the uh, in some of the art across the uh, Trial of the Amazons was just so unique. And it is almost like that pop art from like the 50s and 60s. And I really love that aesthetic. So uh, I, I'd be happy with either one of those
1: on my art team. Yeah, I think that those are great choices as well.
0: All right, that wraps up our ByWord Big Talk. If you were to make a roster of all female characters, who were your picks? Be sure to hit us up at Nerd By Word on Twitter and Instagram with your picks. But when we come back from our final break, we are giving you two more nerd commendations. And we're back here for our final segment where we take all of the Nerd Multiverse and give you the goods. We call it Nerd All right, Dave, you're tapping into that nostalgia bane again.
1: I really don't care. Uh, I just, this, is, this is just quality stuff. And it's not the only quality thing coming out right now uh, over Dynamite, but I have to say, uh, this comic book has already, you know, got me. Uh, it's got me completely hooked. Uh, they are continuing the story of the uh, former Disney animated series Gargoyles over at Dynamite Entertainment. And what is really cool uh, about this is that, A, it's not a reboot. It is, in fact, a continuation, but it's you know written in such a way that you can jump on, even if you're not that familiar with the show. Um, and it is actually written by series creator Greg Weisman. Now, what's cool here is... Uh, you know, the the Weissman situation is fascinating. So uh, Gargoyles ran for three seasons. Um, but by the time it hit the third season, which was oftentimes also referred to as the Goliath Chronicles, uh, Weissman had left the show. And so he does not consider uh, what was done during that year to be canon. So uh, a few years back, uh, he uh, actually did some work with Slave Labor Graphics, SLG, for a series of uh, you know, new gargoyle stories um, called Clan Building, collected in two trade paperbacks, Volume 1 and Volume 2, which he considers to be more in the vein of what he would have liked to have seen for uh, that season three. Um, and then, of course, we had, you know, the whole Disney purchase and, and you know, the Slave Labor Graphics lost the license to do Gargoyles comic books. And so that was the end of that for a long time. Now, Dynamite has the license, and they very, very smartly brought Greg Weisman back yet again. And he is sort of working within the same continuity of uh, clan building volume one and two as well. So basically, you have this really cool, like, uh, you know, consistent quality... Gargoyle's continuity of season one, season two, then the slave labor graphics series, which I think there are plans uh, for Dynamite to actually uh, reprint those since they're currently uh, out of print. Um, and, and then this new series, which uh, has a great hook uh, and uh, the art is really on point. It feels really like a, a continuation of the of the comic book i mean of the of the cartoon so uh here is the uh actual um solicitation for issue one which came out back in december uh all new ongoing series in continuity with the epic gargoyles television classic um 1,000 years ago, superstition and the sword ruled. It was a time of darkness. It was a time of fear. It was the age of gargoyles. Stone by day, warriors by night. They were betrayed by the humans that sworn to protect. Frozen and stone. And this is the full intro from the from the actual uh, cartoon. It's absolutely beautiful. But then it goes into series creator Greg Wiseman and illustrator George Cambatis uh, reintroduced the Manhattan clan, a family of gargoyles at full strength, Though modern New York City is full of attractions and distractions and each member of the clan has begun to go their own way. But their bonds will be tested when nefarious factions from all across the world attempt to steal the rarest, most precious of possessions, an unhatched gargoyle egg. So as of this recording, we are three issues into the series, uh, and it has hidden all the right tones. The art is gorgeous. The writing is on point. It's totally consistent with the show. Uh, So people who love the show, this is for you. People who didn't love the show, what's wrong with you? Check it out. It's on Disney Plus right now and totally uh, worth the time investment. Uh this is just uh you know a fantastic comic book and, and absolutely something worth reading.
0: Yeah, the 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 animated series was like one of the formative things of my childhood. So I definitely am going to go back and revisit that soon and very soon. And then I plan to read this right after that.
1: Good choice. It is just so very good, and even the Slave Labor graphic, graphic series—if they reprint it—and I—and I and want to say I read that they're planning on reprinting some older Gargoyles comics as well. Uh, that particular re, uh, reprint, uh, the Clan Building storyline, is totally essential reading. Uh, it's so very good as well, and and totally fits with the tone of what's going on here. So, um, good stuff all around. All right, Chris. So, what are you nerd commending this week?
0: Ah, uh, well. I am nerd commending Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, which is now on Game Pass. This is a 20th anniversary edition that was initially released uh, November 14th of 2019, but is now on console as well. Um, Age of Empires, you know, we talked about civilization um, and like the, the strategy games like that that are near and dear to our hearts. This was one of those that I grew up with. I remember in middle school, just like racing home so I could play this. Um And now to see it kind of remastered and like all of the DLC uh, included and being able to play this on my Xbox Series S is, is just really, really cool. Just like I get to nerd out about history and like relive those campaign moments, especially like I'm playing through the Joan of Arc campaign right now. And so you're reliving all those battles. But it's not just like military, military smash you also have to like build up your resources similar to what you do in, in civilization. And so, you know, with the additive um, stuff from the DLC, you get to play as like so many different, you know um, you know, civilizations. And so that's, that's really, really cool. You get to play as Bulgarians, Cumans, Lithuanians, uh, Tatars. Um, You could play through Africa, South America, North America, uh, Asia and, and Europe, of course, you know, being the focal point of the original release. Um, but it's just like a really, really fun game that I, I look up and I've been playing for four hours. So um, I really, this this game really holds up and, and being able to play it now, um, the remastered edition is just really, really cool. So if you're a history nerd and you like strategy-based games, this is this is the sweet spot for you.
1: Yeah, I don't have that close of a relationship with Age of Empires like you do for me. It was Civilization for the most part. Um, so if I've never played the original, would you still say that the the remaster is, is worth the price of admission?
0: Yeah, well, in the fact that it's no additional cost if you're a Game Pass subscriber. Um, also, they have like a tutorial version. Like It had been 20 years since I played it, uh, or almost 20 years, and so... I immediately played like the the new player friendly version where they literally walk you through it, and uh, especially with like the reinvention of being on console, it's completely excuse me, completely different than if you're playing on um you know a, a PC. So uh, highly recommend it. It is new player friendly and uh, reliving some of the you know greatest moments in history is is just really really cool.
1: Uh, then I'm here for it, man.
0: All right, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd By Word podcast. Please be sure um, to like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, uh, whether that is Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, or our own fancy website, nerdbyword.com.
1: And find us on social media. We want to obviously hear your thoughts on uh, you know our f- the female team we built and our nerd commendations and what's new in the nerd world. So hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword or individually at thatnerddave and at thatnerdchris. Also, you can hang, uh, click on the link tree in our bios, uh, which will take you to some really cool stuff, including our website, our Discord server, and our totally awesome merch store, because uh, you know, there's always a way to support this show, uh, if not with ratings and reviews, then with a little bit of cash money and a cool t-shirt or something for you.
0: And as always, stay well and stay nerdy.
1: The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available.